Oh, she kissed him. Bros before hoes. Bros before hoes, hoes, hoes. <laughs> Puns. Bros before ho, ho, hoes. <laughs> Please tell me you got that. Yeah. <laughs> Bros before ho, ho, hoes. <clears throat> yeah, they're all shit. I just shat my fucking pants. I got a text there from Test Protect, and I was like, you're fucking kidding me. It's just to book my fucking booster jab. Right. <laughs> I was oh, like, oh, 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 I'm in trouble. <laughs> that's that's a nice little preamble just to end a... Oh, we'll probably, we'll probably cut this bit out, mate. Oh, what about bros before hose, hose, hose? And I've just shat my pants. <laughs> Give the people what they want. Let's just... <laughs> That's like, you know the Joe Rogan where he doesn't actually properly start it, he just has like a kind of, okay. he's having a, sh- a shit right. and a shit and then he kind of goes, so yeah, let's get into it. So. All right, all right, I th- we, can, we, we can use some of that. But why, why, don't you, why don't you introduce the podcast to the nice people? So, welcome back to the Adamsons Versus. Thank you very much for listening so far. We hope you enjoyed the last episode, Nick, uh, the Adamsons Versus, Nick Cage and his leopard pyjamas. Um, and I just want to point out that we, we did kind of speculate what Nick Cage would do next and... Um, you know what's what he does he only does mental things about 35 minutes after we released that podcast uh, a trailer was released for Nicolas Cage's new film where he stars Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal of Game of Thrones and Mandalorian fame plays his crazed fan so Nick Cage has gone even more Nick Cage than and we could ever imagine we may have to have an Adamson's versus and double real tie-in special on just on that film just on that so, thank you very much for listening so far. Uh, we, we're glad you've tuned back in today. I just want to preface this. As my dad's kind of hinted, you want to kind of start with that. Um, I want to talk about Monzo. The big Monzo conundrum. The Monzundrum, if you will. So, my partner and I are in the process of trying to buy a house. Now, that's a stressful time, regardless of having to get involved with banks and stuff like that. Finding the right place, making sure your bid's accepted and all that shit. Now, we are... At like the very last hurdle. We're at the kind of hurdle where we've got to prove anti-money laundering. So you need stamped bank statements for the solicitor to kind of go through and check everything. Now, Monzo is the bank that we are with. I was recommended to get a Monzo account and start a joint account by my partner so that we could um, pay the, the money to the solicitor and the mortgage and all that and all the all that shit is through the Monzo joint account. We thought we might as well just start a joint account if we're going to be having bills and stuff in the house. It's better to just have a joint account. So we thought, why don't we start with Monzo? Because she'd recommended them so highly. I've been with Monzo since, I want to say just before or just after my birthday in October. So just over two months. And they've been nothing but a shower of shite. They are a shower of bastards, a gaggle of cunts. So, stamped bank statements. They are basically just your bank statement, but they've got a little thing at the top that takes two seconds to just say certified by the bank piece of piss you usually just go into a branch i need these bank statements from six months from this date etc um and it's, it's a piece of piss and you can you can do it over the phone now you have to do it over the phone with mons or over the app and um, because they refuse to really do anything other than through their shitty uh chat app thing but i just phoned them up because i didn't want to speak to a robot and on the 6th of december we ordered them said i need them we need them for my account we need them for the joint account and then my partner did the same and she said i need them for my account now that was the sixth they sent them by a second class post that is three to five days uh, so at the very earliest they would have been with us probably on the the ninth or the 10th of december and at the latest they would have been the 13th because of the the way it, it, that fell over the weekend it is now the 17th of december and my partner still hasn't received her bank statements yet that is, how many working days is that? That's about 10 working days, um, which is well over the three to five working days that Monzo suggested. So naturally, I'm fucking furious. And I phoned them up, and they have basically just done that generic apologies for any inconvenience cause, which is the most inconvenient sentence you can hear as a human being. It's so enraging. It's Now, I've, I work with customers, I work with the general public, and you put in, like apologies for any inconvenience cause when there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, this this item is out of stock. Apologies for any inconvenience cause, because there's nothing we can actually do about it. It's usually across the board that's not being delivered to any stores or any shops. There's nothing we can do about it. Therefore, we apologize for the inconvenience because, you know, it's kind of a shit situation. Monzo can do something about this. I said to them, Okay, so you, you've you've lost my partner. This is what happened. They lost my partner's bank statements the first time they sent them. So she phoned them again on Monday the 13th and said, you know, that's a massive data breach. 
you know, like losing someone's bank statements in the post. That's got all my, you know, monies and incomings and outgoings and, you know, my, my details on it. And again, it was, yeah, sorry about that. Apologies for any inconvenience caused. Not like, you know, any reassurance that, you know, they, they could have done something better. So anyway, she said, well, what's going on? Because I do really need these bank statements. We've got a moving date for the, the first, just going into the second week of January. And we kind of, you know, time is of the essence because Christmas is coming up. So we do need these bank statements. And again, it was like, oh, well, we'll just send them out to you again. She went, right, well, that's not ideal. But, you know, is there any way you can get them any any sooner this time? And she was told, uh, we can send them second class postage again. And she went again. So, because it worked so well the first time that you're going to send them out second class again. Yeah, no, nothing you can do to maybe send them first class or 48 hour recorded delivery, seeing as you have inconvenienced and aggrieved a customer. Yeah, no. So is it a case of can't or won't? Because I know it's won't, because there's nothing stopping you just printing the bank statement, taking an envelope, instead of putting a second class stamp on it, putting a first class stamp. Again, met with apologies for any inconvenience caused and all that kind of bullshit. And, yeah, um, I spoke to them today and I said, you do realise like we might have to push the move-in date back because, solely because of you guys. You've held us up for 10 days that we didn't need to be held up with. She went, oh, I'm sorry, etc. That whole generic customer service jargon. So I just want to put on record that Monzo are a shower of assholes. And if I have to hear the statement, apologies for any inconvenience caused, one more fucking time, I'm going to forcibly shove a pineapple down every single member of the board of directors Monzo's throat till they shit it out spikes and everything they are a bunch of cunts I despise them with every fiber of my being and I want anyone listening to this now to go to Monzo and say that say to them I hope your next shite's a pineapple and then say I apologize for any inconvenience cause anyone listening let's just get it trending apologies for any inconvenience cause send a tweet to Monzo just saying I hate you and I wish nothing but illness upon your nah it's probably a bit too far i wish nothing but your next shite to be a pineapple i think that's what we should be with i wish your next shite to be a pineapple apologies for any inconvenience cause and if you want we'll be, we'll post this clip we'll probably bleep out some of the swearing and the expletives but you can send it to them with apologies any inconvenience cause uh, i think i'm done um I was just quietly listening to that and uh, reliving every similar encounter I've had with a shit help desk with my piss slowly boiling and uh, and and just feeling it with you. Well, that's the thing, right? Monzo have tried to be this kind of new trendy thing where they don't have branches. There now, is a better way, all of that shit. Right. Now, okay, I've, I've used their app. Their app is very convenient in terms of, you know, splitting your money up. You have, like, you have, an, you have a savings account and we've divided that up into, like, stuff you need to renovate the house with and maybe saving up for a dog and we're buying a couch so we're putting money towards that completely cool stuff but because they don't have any branches all of it is online based and i said to them you know i'm not happy with the fact that i had to wait three hours to get a reply in the live chat um through the app and i said you know that's that's not really good enough if i phoned up my old bank tsb or i phoned up lloyd's one of my old banks typically i'd have to wait about 20 minutes which is quite long but I can go and do other things. I can do some dishes. I can hang up some laundry. That kind of thing. Three hours is just unacceptable. Now, if I was, if I didn't want to wait in a phone in a in a phone queue, I could just go into the branch and I would be in and out of the building within five minutes, which is what I did when I went to Lloyd's. Uh, well, I didn't go to Lloyd's because there's no branches in Scotland, but I went to our uh, Bank of Scotland and they stamped my Lloyd statements for me. That was ten minutes. TSB went into a TSB branch in and out five ten minutes. So why the fuck is it taking eleven days with Monzo? And they went, oh well, it's just kind of like a thing with the second class post and I went you cannot be you cannot talk about doing things a better way and being an online only bank and then being slower than branches and being in person I need a stamped bank statement and I needed it fucking yesterday you fucking cunt don't fucking hit me with that oh well there's a better way get through contact us through the app no fuck off to contact me through the app every time I speak to someone through the app they're called Alan or they're called Fraser and they fucking say a, hi Alan taking over here with a waving emoji fuck off Alan and get me my fucking stamped bank statements and send me them fucking yesterday you fucking smug prick <sighs> fucking monzo man That that's we sometimes there are things we just need to get off our chest. I am one hundred percent behind every single one of these comments. Maybe another time we'll do the Adamsons versus the help desk, and we can put all of our uh, all of our collective anger into into one um, uh, spite filled package. 
But yes, if uh, if anyone's listening, please try and get Monzo to kind of listen and help. Um, they are bastards. Uh, one thing about most companies is if you start to bombard them on Twitter, they do sort of sometimes listen. Whereas the person you're speaking to on the help desk tends to be able to do three things, and two of them are picking their own asshole. So yes, try and try and help if you can. I'm not even necessarily to help Meeks. These these bank statements are now probably on the way. I would fucking hope because if they're not, there will be fucking hell to pay. Just let them know. But for the future. Yeah, for the future. I don't want another fucking dickhead having to go through this issue. Um, but yeah, this isn't even the Adamsons versus Monster. This is Adamsons versus the John Lewis Christmas advert. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Hope you're enjoying this new COVID variant. Yeah, um, so we gave, we gave you a little bonus prologue there. But yes, welcome to the Adamsons versus. Uh, today's main topic is the Adamsons versus uh, the Christmas advert. I mean, one of the things we will be talking about uh, is how Christmas can be a bit of a stressful time. I think that's an example of it. Um but yeah, James, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, the uh, the Adamsons versus the John Lewis Christmas advert? Um, yeah, well, between this and the other podcast, we were kind of thinking, oh, should we do a Christmas episode for one of the podcasts? And I'd, I think we kind of decided to do this one because we didn't really want to do just a double reel podcast about, you know, our favourite Christmas films. Um, wanted to be a bit different because that's what happens every year. You ask someone, oh, what's your favourite Christmas film? And I feel like it's a bit drawn out to do a conversation about that. But... What I thought was interesting is that you suggested we do the Christmas ad uh, that John Lewis seemed to churn out every year and just go from there and talk about it. So, yeah, um, I hope everyone's seen it. it. It's shit as usual. Yeah, so... Uh, why don't you kind of de- describe what, what happens in it? So this is kind of a newfound phenomenon where John Lewis uh, have come to the opinion, I think the media like to join in, that the uh, the launch of their of their Christmas advert is is almost like one of the big events of the Christmas season, you know. Along with what are those fucking morons going to try and rhyme with sausage rolls this year? And every year they do this advert that's meant to be heartwarming and uh, sweet and gentle and to encapsulate the spirits of Christmas. It never seems to have anything to do with their actual products, um, and it's not the most sincere sort of depiction of the the spirit of Christmas because it is just attempt to make you know to mani- emotionally manipulate you so that you buy some stuff from them. Um, they've done things with penguins. They've done things with little boys who are. I didn't mean it to sound like that. They've done things what with the little boys. Fuck. <laughs> Pausing mid sentence did a did a did a really bad thing there. You do uh, this every podcast. <laughs> So they've done an advert featuring a little boy heartwarmingly trying to help his parents. And all the time, you know, some people find that stuff lovely and you know, and sweet. And some people find it sick-making horse shit. I think you can guess which side of the uh, the calendar we fall on this. Um, <clears throat> the advent calendar. This, uh, <laughs> very good. This latest advert is, I think you'd encapsulate this advert, is it's an attempt to do the story of E.T. If Elliot wanted to fuck E.T. Um, it Wait, is. You're telling me people don't want to fuck ET. <laughs> <laughs> he does have a magic finger. Um, so. <laughs> ET got boned. <laughs> so it's you know it's it's just the usual stuff. I mean, apparently it's the Christmas spirit that a, a spaceship crash crash lands and a young lad goes to see who it is and the. The alien seems to be, you know, a, like a girl his age, and they have this sweet little thing, and it's, it's just the usual pile of smug, sentimental shite. It's got nothing to do with anything except greedy marketing twats uh, who really ought to fuck off and leave us alone. It certainly hasn't got anything to do with what John Lewis are trying to sell us. Um, I think that. This isn't helped by the fact that John Lewis are currently in my bad books. We could have prologued this instead of uh, James's trials with Monzo. We could have prologued this with my latest troubles with John Lewis and the a tumble dryer they sold me that's a fire hazard and the shit customer service that they um, they provide. And it particularly grinds my gears to be going, oh, you should buy from John Lewis. Their customer service is great. It's not. It's fucking rubbish. <laughs> but anyway, it's what, what's happened is that the fact that this has become a phenomenon, it's like, oh, the... Uh, the new John Lewis advert's about to be launched. That's not news. That's not an event. It's just another pile of crap like Elf on the Shelf that they've just decided to impose on us to kind of oh. take a, a holiday that's already too big um, and, and shove more into it. Now, everyone is trying to do it. Everyone is trying to do these things. Now, some of these adverts are all right. I think we were talking uh, before, James, about there was a supermarket advert. Was it Sainsbury's and Aldi that kind of did a funny little like vignette 
uh, imagining a Christmas truce in a game of football between a British and a German that was supermarket. The, the Aldi one has turned into Kevin the Carrot, which is ah, a right. phenomenon I've not really understood. Um, like it is just a carrot, but it's become Aldi's thing. And they they did a Christmas advert this year. It was a, it was called a Christmas Carrot, and it was about a banana Scrooge. And basically, it's the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, but it's with a banana. Um, and then you've got Marcus Radishford, and they've basically just kind of tried to make a kind of. I kind of just a kind of daft, silly thing. I, I don't. Kinda... I, I kind of prefer it on adverts. Just try and be a little bit daft and silly. I, I don't mind that. Mm-hmm. I remember there used to be some quite fun pot noodle adverts. Did the same thing. Not that I follow a lot of adverts. What happens though is that there is this kind of new phenomenon where now everyone's trying to do a Christmas advert. And they're all trying to one up each other, and they all do the same fucking shit. Usually, what they do is they take a song, a popular song that someone else has done, and they do a cover version of it that's sort of like a soppy, lo-fi acoustic cover version with some soft-ass singing the lyrics with a little catch in their voice. And anything of any genre can be made to sound like the musical equivalent of being forcibly suffocated with marshmallows. They even did it to a Guns N' Roses song. So, you know, one one advert managed to even do a softer, less edgy version of I Can Sing a Rainbow, which I didn't think was possible. And it just, that part of it gets my back up to start with. Um... And it, it's a couple of things. One is, there seems to be this new, like, extra smug trend in adverts where it's not enough to just say, buy our stuff, our stuff is good. Our customer service is good, even when it isn't. Buy our stuff, it's good. Now, they have to kind of act like they're somehow enriching the soul of the universe just by being there. Even though they're like, they can be the world's biggest polluters, everyone can be on zero hours contracts and, you know, you know, donating money to Donald Trump. There's a fucking Papa John's advert, which looks like the most sentimental, sweet thing, that having a pizza at Christmas time is somehow, you know, a beautiful, wonderful thing when their fucking owner is a massive fucking fascist racist cunt. (laughs) This is the sort of thing that gets on my tits. And it's like, here's a couple of of adverts that really got my nerves. Everything that Lloyds Bank has done, like, over the past couple of years that makes it sound like they're on the journey with you. It's like, no, I bought the stuff, I worked, I paid tax on the stuff, and then I paid for it. The fact that I had to keep it in a bank account temporarily, and you managed not to fuck it up for five minutes so that I could spend that money on my thing, you're not the one who should be taking credit for the thing I did with my money. And and the, the fucking randomness of it, it's just a bank account. Why is fucking a time, banks, man. Why is a time-travelling horse trying to run through a World War One battlefield? What are you trying to tell me? Um, there's another one that actually quite really fucking uh, annoyed me was there's an advert uh, and, and just to say this advert uh, features a, a trans person uh, transitioning their gender and that's not the bit that annoys me at all that part of the story is actually quite nice but what it does is it shows this kind of period where what appears to be a, a young woman who you know believes she's you know a, a man in a woman's body and is transitioning her gender so they can identify as male and gone through that whole thing, and you have these nice little bits where they get a bit of counselling, get a bit of help, get a nice haircut, they look in the mirror and think, yeah, I finally look like me now, and it's all very nice. And I'm going, oh, I wonder what this is an advert for. And at the end of it, the let's let's say his pronouns are he. He goes into a coffee shop, and it's a Starbucks. And at the end of it, they, they want to write his name on a cup, and he smiles at the camera and says, James. And I thought... What the fuck did Starbucks have to do with any of that process? <laughs> you, you you put the fucking kettle on at the end of it. What have you fucking done? <laughs> you certainly didn't pay any of the taxes required to fund the services that person need to deal with the quite difficult things they went through. <laughs> fuck you. Honestly. Was it actually Starbucks? Yes, that's what Starbucks did. They're a bunch of fucking morons. And the, the other one that the got on my... On. The other one that got on my tits was... There's an advert where, again, it's this long-running thing and you kind of only get hints at the beginning what it's an advert for. It's a, it's a, a what appears to be like a, a nice, sweet, ginger English girl goes on a French exchange, meets a nice French girl, and then become friends. But when they're older, when they're adults, they realise they're attracted to each other. And it's all very nice. And they keep visiting each other and they keep getting picked up in a car. And you realise, you start to notice they keep showing bits of the car and it's a Renault. And then they kind of meet and then they get together. And you realise at the end that they're, that they're married and they're happy. And the whole tenor of this advert is that somehow um, it's, it's, it's Renault that's helped them. Someone fell in love in a Renault, said no one ever. And it's like, I... I'm glad that same-sex relationships have achieved this, the, you know, the acceptance and the respect and the legal status they deserve in our society. And I'm glad that they're normalised enough to be shown in adverts. I just don't know what the fucking heated wing mirrors on the new Renault Megane have got to do with any of that. I mean, ask the lesbians. 
the only way that would actually be realistic is if the, one of those people was a Renault owner and the other one was a mechanic. And every time the fucking Renault broke down because it's a pile of shit, they ended up meeting. <laughs> and the amount of time they spent together meant they got together. I would believe that Renault advert. Well, that, our that would mean shit, everyone who's might... ever owned a Fiat would be in fucking love with that's a mechanic. R- that's right. Our electric's <laughs> a shit, but you'll meet people. And, I mean, generally speaking, they do this... Um, there's this... It's... You see, I'm not one to go along with this kind of the, what a lot of right-wing arseholes keep referring to as virtue signalling, but a lot of what adverts do is actually the dictionary definition of virtue signalling. Because every advert, every company is so keen to feature a diverse range of people in their adverts. So, you know, ethnically, you know, they have, you know, women and trans women and gay and straight and all kinds of ethnicity. There's this rainbow coalition in all of their adverts. And it always makes me think, how diverse is your boardroom, fellas, you know? Or is it all just old white guys like it always was? And I, I don't fucking need to see them fucking putting diversity on a fucking two-minute commercial that I would fast-forward through if I've recorded the program. They, and it's like they, oh, they always go, oh yeah, well we, you know, we're 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 more ethical now. We're putting less poison in the water. Oh, well done you. All these cunts who want to like jump on the bandwagon of stuff now that it's popular, they were probably the ones threatening to pull their adverts from any show that featured anyone gay back in the 1980s. So anyone with a long memory especially hates these cunts. So that's one of my problems with adverts, is the fake schmaltz by people who are actually ruthless fucking bastards polluting um, polluting the airwaves. The take, other, a the, take, take a breath. The, the, other, the other bit that annoys me about all of this is that... What this is part of is that this marketing and shops and all of these commercial enterprises, it feels like they want to expand Christmas to the point that there is nothing else. That literally, it, it, will, it, will, ex, it will expand like the Big Bang creating the universe until essentially Christmas runs from the 1st of January to the 31st of December every year. And Christmas is, is great. It's a time to see the family. It's a time to watch some of your favorite films. It's all of those things. It can also be quite a stressful time. It can be a time when you are kind of trying to get a lot of things organized. You've got a little bit less time to get things sorted. You're trying to finish off work. You know, there's always a potential for a family argument when everyone gets together. And that can be a bit stressful. And it can cause a bit of sort of anxiety and, 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 and that sort of thing. Now, that's all very well if towards the end of a year that starts to happen. You start to have a build-up and you go, okay, well, let's just get through it, get done, you know, make sure everything's ready, and then we can enjoy Christmas. When that process starts in fucking August, (laughs) right, it feels like you're kind of on a permanent state of high alert. I don't want to hear fucking sleigh bells and fucking Mariah Carey when the fucking sun hasn't, you know, but it's when it's, you know, they haven't fucking put the clocks back yet. Just give us a fucking break. Okay, right. I just want to so, say something before so we get into I've, before we I've get into more adverts. Before we get into more adverts, let's take a little, take a little kind of pit stop, a little tea break. Have you seen that thing on Facebook where someone paid eighty five pounds for some guy dressed as the Grinch to come round to our house for our kids? No. Oh, oh, dad. Oh. No, 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 I'll, I'll send you it, don't worry. I'll send you it. All right, all right, you could hear me clicking the keyboard to try and yeah, find yeah, it. Yeah, 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 I'll send you it. <sighs> uh, I'm gonna say, it's on Twitter, so I'm going to send you the link to it. Right, so just read, read the, the there's four pictures, so read the first one and then just scroll through. So paid £85 for a Grinch visit. Advertises the Grinch to come in, mess the kid's bed, have a pillow fight, put toilet roll around your Christmas tree, and pictures with the kids at the end. They were told to leave no pictures. What I got, every single bit of party food, expensive cupcakes thrown all over the place, tree decorations broken, fairy liquid poured on my kitchen floor, egg smashed and a full bottle of juice poured over my floor and sun. <laughs> Kids, new onesie ruined, highly, highly do not recommend, mailed and complained, no reply, drenched definitely stole Christmas, never been so disgusted in my life. Look at the photos, the last one. <laughs> Kid looks like he had a good time. <laughs> looks like he's had his cunt kicked in for fuck's sake. He's covered in fade liquid and red stuff. He looks like he's been battled. He does. He does. He looks like uh, like he's just been dragged out of a war zone. So for anyone who's not seen it, please just type in Grinch visit into Twitter. It's oh, the best thing is when she mailed and complained no reply as if the Grinch was gonna fucking be like, oh yeah, sorry about that. 
so they, they should have like a Jim Carrey sound clip from the original film to like respond to for any of those. On, on, it's like if you leave a message, I'll hunt you down and cut you like a fish. <laughs> right. No, for that that kind of side. Okay. So, side note. A bit, a bit, so a, I just a bit, thought a bit we'd... Of catharsis there. It's it's just it's just like it's too much. And since when did some fucking marketing cunt who's probably, you know, in a normal normal year would have fucked off to Barbados by now, wouldn't be spending Christmas with their family, has got to fucking fill our heads with their fucking shit version of Christmas. Anyway, I got I got a bit of a head so, of steam up there. We can take a the, What's the worst Christmas ad that you've ever seen? Because I've got one right... I'm looking at it right now. Okay, so, why, don't, why don't you take the lead on it? Okay, so it's not a video one, but Bloomingdale's back in 2015 posted something where it's a man looking at a woman and the caption is spike your best friend's eggnog when they're not looking fucking hell look how bad is that and they just kind of said sorry and didn't explain how or why that happened wow that's because the good old days you used to be able to advertise cigarettes and rifles at christmas time so I mean, ad- adverts generally like that. That's like a lead-in. But I mean, generally speaking, what's your kind of what, what's your stress level like at this time of year? Because you work around Christmas time. I mean, how, 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 does, how do you how do your dealings with the general oh, public change fuck at off. Christmas time when you're working? Oh, yeah. They're just fucking like customer. I, I, we had the junkie story last week. Where customers say the stupidest shit, right? It's like as soon as they walk through those automatic doors, they just fucking lose their minds. They lose all common sense. They become totally illogical. So, the other day, a woman came up to me. She went, standing in front of, like, all the Christmas nibbles and stuff like that, she went, when does your Christmas food come in? And we're standing in front of a box that says Christmas cheesecakes. And I just kind of looked at her and I went, it's already in, pal. And I just kind of looked at the box and looked back at her and she went, no, 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 the other Christmas food. And I went, I don't really know what you mean by other Christmas food. She went, oh, yeah, like, you know, your, like your Christmas dinner. And I went, do you mean turkeys? She went, yeah. And I went, so yeah, just shit like that. Just customers that they'll they'll come up to me and they'll they'll like they'll. This is the thing that really annoys me. They'll come into the shop and we've got stuff that's just kind of like limited stock. And then once it's sold out, you know, it was like a one-time thing. It's kind of like big drops that like big companies do now, where it's like exclusive stuff, and. They always do this thing. It's like, oh, I was in yesterday. And I saw you had this, um, this eau de parfum, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah. And she was like, oh, there was only a couple bottles left yesterday. And I went, oh okay. She was like, I was looking to buy one. And I went, well, should have bought it yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously can't say that to him, but I went, <laughs> I'm like, I think it's sold out, pal. And they went, oh, do you have any more in the back? And I went, no, no, no. Just what we put, what we get of that goes out. We don't keep any in the back, just so we make sure it all sells. I mean, can kind of keep a better idea of like our stock levels and stuff like that. She went, "Oh, I want you check in the back," and I went, "But there's nothing in the back." She was like, "Please check in the back." I was like, "What?" <laughs> you should have said, "There's no, well, there's nothing in the back except a junkie who's just broken in trying to steal stuff." <laughs> Why don't you check the back? Oh... Uh... Why hope you made he- that sexual? Hope your hepatitis vaccinations are up to, uh, up to date. But yeah, customers at this time of year. I mean, customers at any time of the year, like customers, they just lose all function to kind of use their tongue. Like they just don't know how to speak. So a customer went, "Oh, do you have those potatoes with holes in them?" And I went, "What the fuck?" <laughs> uh, Polos have brought out a new potato for. Christmas. No, and I went. Well, I have no idea what you mean. Like, I have zero idea what you could possibly mean by potatoes with holes in them. She went, oh, I know it was a he, it was a he. And he went, hey, yeah, the potatoes with the holes in them. And I went, mate, let's walk around the freezers. Because he, he knew it was frozen. I went, let's walk around the freezers. And then when you see them, you point them out. And he pointed at them and it was fucking potato waffles. <laughs> <laughs> information you could have provided to help me out here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Have I, to- have I told Arnold Kings on the podcast? Uh, I can't remember if I have. If you have, you haven't told it on this podcast. So for those people who haven't, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure you haven't. Let, 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 let's have it. Let's, let's put it down. So All Known Kings is possibly one of my favourite stories ever. So this was back in the old shop where there was lots of, you know, kind of drug users and people who were just coming. There was a bar across the car park as well. So everyone was just usually 
on on drugs or absolutely you know mad weight and drunk. This guy came in, kind of stoltered about, and he'd been given a list of shopping while drunk. I'm convinced he was drunk. And he goes, excuse me. I went, he went to one of my colleagues and went, do you sell on lawn kings? And the first colleague went, I don't know where that is. Passed him, passed him over to the next colleague. Wasn't even passed to me yet. The guy's getting passed around like a joint. And then goes, excuse me, pal, do you have on lawn kings? And then I, he gets passed to me like I'm the junkie whisperer. And he went, James, do you sell on lawn kings? I went, what the fuck's on Long Kings, mate? And he went, it's like a fancy chocolate spread. <laughs> and I went... <laughs> right, I'm keeping it together. Right? Wait, well, I could take you to like our jams and chocolate spreads and that, but I've never heard of this thing in my entire life and all the time I've been working here. So we go to the shelf and I went, wait, we only really sell Nutella and like our own kind of brand stuff. And he went, no! And I went, oh, fucking hell. Went, it's called Odd Long Kings. And I went... Okay, um, mate, like I said, I've never seen that before. So, <laughs> he went, it's on the list. And I went, mate, can I please see this list? And he went, yeah, 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 no worries. So I take the list and clear as day, clear as the water in the Bahamas, says onion rings, right? <laughs> and I just went... Oh, you should have got the no. And I went, mate, you know what this says? Onion rings. And he went, oh, do you have them? <laughs> I went, nah, no. <laughs> I went, yeah, we do. And I went, but did you just make up that thing about the fancy chocolate spread that was £8 a jar? And he went, aye. <laughs> and carried on with his day like it wasn't the most mental fucking thing that had ever happened. <sighs> oh, that's brilliant. That is oh, brilliant. So yeah, customers at Christmas time, they're just this kind of... They're just it's weird because like you get you get really intelligent people that come into the shop like there's fucking we're not far from a hospital so there's doctors and nurses and there's like it's the west end so it's like you know there's there's you know some fucking smart people coming around here you know the west end's full of fucking you know well-to-do people people with degrees and shit but it's like it's like there's a kind of a portal or like a kind of mist that we spray like out like the aircon as soon as they come through those the automatic doors, they just they just turn into fickle. They're just where the fuck am I? You know? Yeah. And but yeah, it's not too bad. It's getting getting kind of busy. Um, people buying lots of champagne and stuff like that. Um, there is there is one um, like Christmas tradition or attempted Christmas tradition for this year that I am I am fully behind. Uh, that right. I wanted to, to to mention to the public. Um. A lot of people probably don't pay attention to the charts anymore. I mean, Christmas number one used to be a big thing. You know, the Christmas charts used to be a big thing. And music is so splintered nowadays that it's not such a, you know, a major thing. And obviously I'm of an age now where, you know, music I like isn't really in the charts anyway. So I didn't realise that last year, all the talk was, you know, the third year running for those fucking morons who release a song that takes some part of the title and changes it to Sausage Rolls. Um, they've yet to try and do a version of Gary Glitter's Rock and Roll, um, which I think would be a superb, uh, really baller move for them. Don't know what they're doing this year. But people might not have heard about what was number five in the charts last year. Because number five in the charts last year was uh, a band called The Cunts. With the song... <laughs> I've seen this, yeah. Boris Johnson is a fucking cunt. And there, there was enough, you know, support from the public to get that to number five. And this year, with everything that's going on, they've decided to have a, another go at this. Uh, and and they haven't re-released the, the same song as last year. No, no, they've given us a new song. And the new song is called Boris Johnson is Still a Fucking Cunt. And from now, today, until the 23rd of uh, December, but get in early just in case you missed the deadline, if you buy or download that song, it will go towards the charts and we could cap off what's been a, uh, let's say a mixed year with a little bit of pleasure that the Christmas number one could be Boris Johnson is still a fucking cunt by the cunts. And and just then you could all tune in to the BBC or whoever does the chart show these days and see what they have to say when it's time to announce what the Christmas number one is at two o'clock in the afternoon on Christmas. Stand up for it like you'd stand up for the Queen's speech if you're a patriot. Stand up, salute, and listen and see if we can get that. There's a Christmas tradition I could get behind. See, 
you just know they're going to be spoil sports about it though because there's no way anyone from the BBC is going to drop that word even after the watershed you know no no they'll probably call it the Boris Johnson song they won't no they won't address it the BBC will pick and choose the BBC isn't uh, isn't ba- uh, balanced anymore they'll they'll pick and choose well the, i mean obviously the BBC at the moment is absolutely terrified of of the government kind of reducing their funding which is why their political uh and their news arm are so far up Boris Johnson's arse, they've been licking his fillings for the past 12 months. Um, but it's it's one of those things that's that's quite pleasurable. I mean, it's the same kind of childish, like, you know, humour that, you know, if I, I, I can't even pretend I've ever listened to one of their songs, but, you know, there is a band or was a band called Anal Cunt. Yeah. And they just used to specialise in, in hilarious kind of song titles like Hitler was a sensitive man and I intentionally ran over your dog. Just to get a reaction, I thought. <laughs> and... You know, that that's the sort of Christmas tradition I can get behind. The nearest thing we've had to this, I mean, there was that time when they got Rage Against the Machine to defeat uh, the X Factor Christmas number one when it was Leonard John McKelvey and uh, Rage Against the Machine beat them instead. Um, other than that, the nearest thing we got was one year Cliff Richard was his customary Christmas number one, but he was only Christmas number one for one week. And then he was knocked off the top spot by Iron Maiden's Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter. <laughs> These you have to, you know, when there is like an onslaught of of tinsel and bullshit, sometimes you have to take you know little little pleasures where you can. And look, I enjoy Christmas, and you know, if I watch It's a Wonderful Life at this time of year, I get sentimental and you know a bit of dust in the eye, just like anybody else. I just I just don't need it to be. It's it's the same social phenomenon where every. Every television program seems to be a reality show, and every, and they're not just a reality show where people are, you know, trying to do a thing. It's all going to be part of their journey, and it's all part of where they've gone <laughs> to. And it's like this is for you, Glenn. Every single like thing that they do has to have some huge emotion. It's like they're doing MasterChef the other day, and somebody cooked a dish, and it's like I'm doing this dish because you know my granddad used to cook it for me, and I really like my granddad. And so oh, it's really nice. Your granddad would be very proud. And went, oh, I'm so happy. My granddad would have loved this. It's like. Fucking hell, mate. And it's like, it's too much. You can almost see them like waiting with the theme tune for every like emotional journey that they can go on. So every now and again, yeah. someone just being a a, 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 a nasty, naughty schoolboy and, and, and ruining things for everyone is what you need. But I mean, yeah. I, I suppose that the reason that the everything's going the way they are is obviously because Boris Johnson and his Christmas shenanigans have... Uh, uh, have made made the headlines this year. I mean, it's 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 amazing that it's you know it's barely you know it was barely a year after he was elected that he was already getting to the stage where most governments get to after ten years, where they stop giving a shit and it's all about the the shit they get up to. But this time last year, the, you know, it was in fact it'll be you know on you know, time of recording it'll be a, a, you know nearly a year, three hundred and sixty four days since that infamous Christmas party. But it's just like the the government is beyond parody now. It's like when it's, and it's come out, so oh, there were eight Christmas parties. Boris Johnson ho- hosted a pub quiz or whatever it was. It's like, fucking hell, how do you, I don't know how like satirists make jokes about this shit anymore. Like someone it's saying, hard to make anything, it's hard to make anything Boris Johnson does funnier. The only, I mean, the guy's got like, he's got something wrong with him. He's, he, his head just wobbles about like someone who's got like a degenerative disease. He's just sat there like, like he's like he's like a part of like Winston Churchill that someone tried to recreate Winston Churchill in the lab, used a little bit of Winston Churchill, but they went with like the horrible the, the horrible, the the horrible genocide yeah, the horrible old withered nasty racist genocidal man that he was and took a little bit of that and then Le- they, made left, it in they a left pe- out the charisma and leadership ability. Yeah, they, 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 you know, and then they, um, they, it just went wrong. They put it, they, they put it in a petri dish, but instead of putting it in the fridge, they put it in the freezer, and then he just came out of this big fucking balloon. The, the, the thing is, he is, he is actually a lot more intelligent than than his public image suggests, but he isn't competent, and he's too lazy, and he's too inattentive, and he's too lacking in any fucking vision and morality and moral fibre to be anything other than he is, which is like a, a, a funny persona. There's a thing, Jeremy Vine, who he's not really a political guy anymore. He used to be like a big, like proper news correspondent. Now he's a, he presents stuff. He's still around. 
but he said he um he got a unique insight into Boris Johnson because on three separate occasions he by coincidence happened to be booked for the same after dinner function as Boris Johnson. They they needed someone to hand out the prizes, you know, it's like the fucking, you know, toaster salesman of the year, whatever it is. <laughs> um and they book an after dinner speaker. So one person turns up and says, Hi, I'm Jeremy Vine, blah 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 blah. This is the award for, you know, you know, most toaster sales in Stoke on Trent. There you go. Um You've never given your wife an orgasm, but have an award. Um, hey, leave the fucking top toaster salesman in Stoke-on-Trent alone. He's just trying to make a living. And and when they finished handing out the awards, on comes Boris Johnson for a uh, for a speech. You know, I and mean, after dinner speaking is a whole thing. You know, they get people who used to be sportsmen. They get people who are great raconteurs and all of this stuff. And they got Boris because he's a bit of a big name, and they were probably paying him quite well for it. And the first time he turned up to this dinner. Um, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Vine thought it was a bit of a one-off because Boris Johnson turns up literally five minutes before he's due to go on and everyone has been panicking where is he is, what are we going to do they look at Jeremy have you got any stories <laughs> do you know what I mean because we need you to fill in and and he turns up just in time his hair's all over the place he's an absolute mess and there he's straightening his tongue so okay where are we okay right great and, and what are we doing out there it's the what it's it's the toaster salesman. Okay, all right, brilliant. Okay, and uh, sorry, it's it's no, toaster salesman's awards. Okay, okay, and uh, right, and what, what what's your what, what's the main question? Okay, I think I've got it. And he stumbles out, and then he what he would do is, and he would stand up and he would say, "I'm very pleased to be here at the." And he turn and look and he go, oh, "Oh, toaster salesman, is it?" And then he'd try and tell a joke, and he would get the punchline wrong. And but the way he got the punchline was really funny because oh, it's Boris, isn't he a laugh? And then a few months later, Jeremy Vine is booked at a different event where, again, he's given out the prizes and it's Corby Trouser Presses or something else. And <laughs> Boris Johnson's due to be the speaker. And Jeremy Vine's going, God, he was a bit interesting last time. I wonder what he's going to do this time. And Jeremy Vine's finishes giving his prizes and exactly the same thing happens. Boris Johnson turns up literally minutes before he's meant to go on after everyone's been shitting themselves for 45 the minutes. Ask them what it's all about. Looks walks on, ruffles his hair, and tells exactly the same joke and gets the punchline wrong in exactly the same. Reverend goes, ah, Boris, isn't he a laugh? And then a third time, exactly the same thing happens. So the whole thing is a carefully crafted persona. The whole, see, I'm, I'm not, that thing that happened a couple of weeks ago where he lost his place in his, in his speech for like 20 seconds and everyone thought, what the hell is this? I mean, that's, that's probably him literally just not being prepared for anything. But when he then starts improvising about Peppa Pig, I 100% believe that he does that shit on purpose because then everyone's talking about Peppa Pig and not the fact that his psycho bitch of a home secretary is about to take everyone's civil rights away or the wide-scale corruption in their government. It's like when, um, I don't know if any, if you remember this, mate, but this might have been at the last, the, the general election, actually. This might have been during the election time. And one of the questions for Boris Johnson was, what do you like to do for a hobby? And he says, what I like to do for a hobby is I like to make model, paper model, double-decker bus. Right. And all of a sudden, Twitter and the airwaves and the comedy shows, Mock the Week and I Got News for You and everything else, and they probably got across the Atlantic, what the hell's Boris going on about? When he's got a hobby, he makes double-decker buses out of paper. What the fuck is that? But isn't it interesting, though, that if you do that and around about that time, if you tried to Google double-decker bus... What you would get is that ridiculous story. What you wouldn't get is all the times before that, that it was a, the leading search about Boris Johnson and double-decker bus was when he covered it in fucking lies before the Brexit vote. Mm. And that he, is interesting. He does a lot of what he does on purpose. And the reason he does that, he has no interest and he hasn't got the attention span or the, the basic kind of administrative competence to actually do a good job as prime minister. But what he can do is act as a massive fucking distraction. Yeah, um, I think he's he's just I think he's playing up to it, isn't he? Obviously, he, he, you know, he plays he plays up to the Boris persona. He's actually a nasty piece of work offline. He's you know conspired to have a journalist beat up who was who who was like exposing the wrongdoing of one of his friends. He's not a very nice man. He's also a bit of a racist. Yes, he is. Yeah, the thing is, what he says about that is, is he you know he's used to when he was writing columns for the Spectator and stuff. He he's he, he doesn't think that anything he says should be binding. 
which is all very well when you're writing columns for a fucking right-wing magazine that no one fucking reads anymore. It gets boiled down into little segments. People stick it on Twitter and go, look at these cunts, or I agree with this. But when you're prime minister, what you say is meant to be binding. You know, I'm going to build this, I'm going to do that, which is why when he's... When he says they're going to build 40 new hospitals and it's bollocks. When they said they're going to build back better in all in the north and it's bollocks. He's sitting there going, don't believe anything I say. Yeah. He's like, well, the, he's like the con man. He thinks it's your fault for believing him. That's the problem, though. Is no, he's just kind of like the front man of what the Conservative Party are doing. which, And it doesn't do him any favours when the Conservative Party start rebelling because he's kind of just like the fall guy of all the shit that they try and put. Oh, absolutely. He's clueless. He has, he has no idea what he's doing. But when the rebellion starts happening where they're now like rejecting his, his policies in quotation marks, it's, it's not going to go well for him when his own party are now not falling for his bullshit. Um, I don't know how we got from the Christmas advert to Boris Johnson, but it's because he's gonna he's gonna be Christmas number one, which oh know, yeah, a, appearing in a, appearing in a vid in a or his his uh, a lookalike appearing in a video dancing around a car that looks like it's Nick from Ghostbusters or someone sings Boris is a cunt and getting to Christmas number one. Those are the kinds of achievements he can actually uh, he can actually you know be relied on for. Um, you know, like when he like. Plowed through three, you know, Asian kids on a on a, a in a toy in a j- mini rugby game. On that a, was the on funniest a, shit, though. When he took down a jerk, he, he he was elected to mayor of London because he took down a footballer with a flying headbutt to the balls. See, I didn't, that's what got him elected to mayor of London. I was saying this to my my missus is that CV wasn't head of the country and was committing nasty acts and passing nasty regulations and laws. I'd find him hilarious. Oh yeah, I could watch him all day. But I'll watch him on the news just kind of dribbling through his sentences and think, wow, he's really fucking funny. And then realise he's in charge of the country and lots of people have died because of him. And it's not a joke anymore. Yeah, yeah it's not funny anymore. This is the thing. I think he I think he wants to be done with this. I think he wants to go back to being a fucking entertainer. Yeah. He, I mean, he is like the... he He's a posh David Brent, basically. The the problem you have with prime minister, being prime minister... And even being your president, being head of any state is that you're always going to piss someone off. And I feel like more people get pissed off now because of the kind of culture, like the kind of social media culture that we have now where mm. everyone's got access to anything you do. Yeah, you can rip um, people apart for, but for anything they do. What, who's the last prime minister that you can look back on fondly? None of them in the past 25 years. So... No, in order, before Thatcher, you'd have to, I'd so, have to say. Well, no, I mean, yeah, we've, we've had a massive fair revolution in this country. Blair was really good for five years and then decided he, he wanted to join in the invasion of Iraq. And then became a cunt. Um, oh, and he's really he's really bought into the ideology of cuntism. He's really gone for it. Hmm. Um, then, looking back, I think John Major had a sort of sense of sort of decency to him. He was just presiding over a party in terrible decline. Yeah, because of Thatcher. Um, the, the leaders prior to that, I mean, the history books aren't going to look kindly on British Prime Ministers for the last kind of 50, 60, 70 years. But the, the question might be, maybe if everything they did and said was recorded as, as, as often as it is now, uh, previous Prime Ministers that we look back on more fondly wouldn't, wouldn't have, have the reputation shy, yeah. that they do. I think we've got a separate problem is that a lot of people get into politics after all they do is is that they they get... They go to a school and they have to have gone to a school in a reasonably nice area because otherwise they'd never get near this sort of shit anyway. They they go into you know, they get do a degree in politics, then they get they do an internship somewhere, which only people who's who who can afford for mummy and daddy to look after them while they do it, because it's an unpaid internship, you know, for a political party or as a PR person or a communications kind of, you know, you know, making the tea for a you know, for someone in the Tory party or someone in a PR firm. And next thing you know, they're a candidate for a for a political party, and they've never had a proper job. And then suddenly, they're in charge of you know the economy of one of the you know the sixth largest countries in the world. You know, in you know in financial terms. And that's the only reason you can explain how Chris Grayling ended up being in charge of ordering ferries and giving the contract to someone who didn't have any ferries. And doing it on a contract that was basically the terms and conditions of a of an online takeaway provider. And I, I think it, there used to be a time when, before you were a politician, you had to have had some sort of proper job. 
you know it's not even that long ago you know if if you were labor then you'd actually worked in a in a factory and you rose to the you rose into politics through the trade union movement and by the time you were a cabinet minister you had actually done stuff whereas it's now totally you can now, now you can rise quite far in politics never having done anything you know the biggest the biggest complaint about Jeremy Corbyn you know isn't actually his policies or the fact that he's got, you know, friendships and, and views that, that 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 embarrass him because they've all got that, you know, within certain limits. It's the fact that he's never, ever been in charge of anything or organised anything. He's never even been in charge of a committee. At no point has he been accountable for a decision that says, right, this is going to cost 300 million quid if we get it wrong. I need you to speak to 10 people and help us make the decision. Never done anything. And how can you have a, 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 a career in politics for 35 years and then be the person, one of the choices for prime minister, and you've never fucking done anything outside of fucking student union politics. That is, we've gone really serious here, but that is, that is, that is why we have all this clowning, and that's why we have such trivial politics nowadays because the politicians themselves are so trivial. Yeah, mad. We, we really need to find a way to become less depressing on these podcasts because we're just talking <laughs> about shit. Than this. You know what? You know we haven't mentioned the c word, not that c word. We've mentioned that a few times. Cunt. Oh. <laughs> Because, yeah, I mean... The... Well, I mentioned it at the start, to be fair, to get my COVID booster. Oh, that's true. And then the new variant. Yeah, that's my bad. <laughs> that, uh, that's but we've mean. managed to stay off that topic. So maybe we should be grateful for Boris Johnson for giving us some news. I mean, we're, we're recording this the day after he lost an absolutely seismic by-election uh, result. Yeah, the, the seat that they'd held for 200 years, they lost to the Lib Dems. They had a 23,000 majority, and that's been overturned. And now the Lib Dems have got a 6,000 seat majority, which is oh. absolutely hilarious. I guess I guess at this time of year we're we're looking for distractions, aren't we? Because Christmas is Christmas is what it is, right? And the main thing is the, the main thing that always stresses me about Christmas is that it's almost like it goes on your permanent record, right? If the, if if you're having some sort of family event in in you know you know August bank holiday weekend, you know, and it, you know it doesn't go very well, or something, you end up having an argument with someone, or you know you forget to order something and it's a big embarrassment then yeah, it is what it is. And someone will remind you of it every time you have a family gathering, but that will be it. Whereas it's like, if 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 you fuck up Christmas, then it's Christmas, you know, that's on your permanent record. So, oh, there's no turkey or, you know, I, I, fell, out with, I fell out with my granddad or, you know, you know, I, I was in the huff with my wife right until like, you know, the, the Queen's speech, whatever it was, that's kind of on your permanent record. So you just feel like, just let Christmas go, okay. Just let Christmas go, okay. And I think we're just looking for distractions, aren't we? So for me, that's why I don't want to be reminded of Christmas in, in September. I'm looking forward to Christmas. I want to have a great Christmas. But I don't want to spend three months kind of thinking about it because it's these things get built up into these kind of massive things. So, you know, you, you know what? I don't mind those fucking idiots singing the song about sausage rolls. You know, at least it takes your mind off things for a minute. It's the it's the build-up. It's like when every kind of ad break has got Coca-Cola going, holidays are coming, holidays are coming. Eventually, that it's sounds like, sinister, isn't it? It starts to sound like a fucking horror movie. Holidays are coming. He's gonna get you. Santa's gonna touch your bum. Santa's gonna play with your toys. He's gonna spit on your mince pie. He's gonna slap your mama. That was a dark place, didn't it? Ah, oh, dearie me. When did you? When did you? Sorry, that really caught me off guard when you hit me with a "when did you" after that bit. Sorry, I'll tell you about. When did you stop believing in in Santa Claus? Um, it was when was it? It's when we moved to Chelmsford, and I must have been about seven or eight. And and was it was it a case of you just started to realise that the whole thing was a load of bollocks, or did some event or? slip or something like that kind I of mean it was kind of a bit of both I was kind of like I'm I, I was a very screwed on attentive kid I wasn't that kind of kid that you could just give a toy and then I'd fuck off I was very I'd think about how the fuck does Santa get around the entire world because I remember you I think when I start, first started to think it was a boatload of bullshit is when you told me that the earth had probably at that time a population of about six billion and I went there's no fucking chance Santa does that in one <laughs> night then is it yeah and then you and then you tried to kind of pan it off as like Oh yeah, well, there's different times when I was like, I'm fucking watching you, Dad. I'm on, I'm on your fucking case. But I think what just happened was that somebody at school just said Santa's no real, and then I went home, and then I was like, uh, Yeah, Mum, Santa's no real. And she was like, Yeah, be quiet though, because like obviously, Cause little you, sister, because your, your little sister, yeah. I, I had exactly the same thing. I, 
I got told by a grown-up when I was about six that Santa wasn't real. And was it not your mind dad or? No, it was just some, it was someone they knew. It was like a friend of the family that said it. And my mum and dad at the time were really, really angry. Oh, you're going to upset him. You've ruined it. And I remember not being in the least asked because I don't give a shit about Santa. I don't give a shit about some entire kind of myth they've invented about some bloke who comes down the chimney and hand, hands down presents. Mum and dad bought me the presents because they really want me to have a nice Christmas. You know, they heard that I wanted a remote control car and they scraped together the money to get me a remote control car. I'm having a good Christmas. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh no, only if some magic man with a beard hands it to me, you know, delivers delivers it to me by, you know, you know, you know, some method with questionable physics involved is the only way I'm going to enjoy it. I did not give one fuck. All it all it did teach me was because we were living abroad at the time, and obviously you didn't have you know the kind of global shipping and stuff that you have now. I knew that it would be logistically complex. Obviously, I'm using the phrase the phrase logistically complex when I was six, but I knew that they would have to organise stuff and that the presence would be in the house somewhere. So every time um, they went out and there was an inattentive babysitter, I would start scouring the house for presents, and I would invariably find them before Christmas to get them out, have a little play with them, and then put them back in the cupboard. <laughs> I didn't give a shit when I found out that Santa wasn't real. It didn't bother me in the slightest. Your um, My sister, your auntie, she was even better, because I had exactly the same thing with you. Is my mum took me to one side and said, okay, look, you've heard Santa isn't real. He's not real, you know. Nothing personal. We didn't, you know, as a parent, you don't want to be the, you don't want to be the asshole who ruins it for all the other kids when your kid goes to school and says, says there's no Santa. So my mum and dad just said, look, keep it to yourself. And especially don't tell your sister because she enjoys Santa. And what happened was it got to the point where my sister must have been 10, 11, 12, and we were still doing it. I remember thinking, my sister is an otherwise very intelligent person. She's smart. She's doing well at school. How does she still believe in Santa? But every year, and every year at Christmas time, we would lay out the presents. That this, this is from Gran. This is from this is from your uncle. This is from your auntie. This is from mum. This is from dad. Blah blah blah. And then we would do a little. Um, so the idea was is that they knew there were certain things. You know, it's like, oh yeah, you're because right. because I think the other thing is that you get told that Santa's brought you all your presents, and then after Christmas you have to write thank you letters to people other than Santa for your presents. <laughs> right, so I, and, you, and the kids are like, "What the fuck is this?" So eventually, the the, the way that they they said it to my sister was, "Look, your 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 loved ones get you presents, but Santa gets you a few things as well." Right. So every year there'd be a stocking laid up for my sister, and those mark those um, presents would be marked from Santa, and it would be like a a few stocking fillers, a few not you know a few things that my mum would divert some of the presents she was going to get and put them in a stocking, and eventually when. By the time my sister was definitely of an age where if she still believed in Santa, we think she's probably a bit simple and we're going to have to maybe kind of find out what's going on here. She came clean and said, look, I can't do it. I don't believe in Santa. I haven't believed in Santa for years. But I've noticed that I get more presents <laughs> because you give me this extra stocking, so I've been keeping quiet about it. But I can no longer in good conscience pretend that I still believe in this nonsense. <laughs> Which I thought was very good. Uh, it's just a way to get kids to behave though that's the thing it's nothing to do with belief it's the, just the, like the, if you're a wee cunt you're not getting your presents because Santa won't give you them yeah. basically but that's you can the same threat comes from your from, well you you can you get the same threat from your parents saying if you're horrible to me I won't get, give you your presents until the kids realise that like, you're you're going to get the presents you have to be just, a good person yeah you, 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 <laughs> your kids realise they're going to get the presents anyway because there's no way that the parents want to have like you being a shit on Christmas day because you got no presents because at the end of the day, you don't want to have had you don't want to have had the Christmas. You don't want to go through with the threat. Do you know what I mean? That parents make threats they don't actually want to follow up on because that would actually be shit. Yeah, it's the way teachers actually don't like giving kids detention because then they have to stay back after school as well. You know. Um, but there was a bit that I thought was really funny when um the um it's the Archbishop of Canterbury or maybe the Cardinal of the Catholic Church or something like that, some like leading person in the church. They made a statement saying they uh, they were sick of all of this kind of obsession with Santa and they didn't want people to go around talking about Santa being real. And and the, the, the central thrust of their argument was they thought it was a bit off for people to be saying that there's this bearded man in a distant place who knows whether you've been good or bad and rewards you accordingly. Without any sense of irony that that's what he does <laughs> for a fucking job. God and Jesus are sat there like, am I a joke to you? <laughs> but 
I mean, they always have this talk about like, you know, we've forgotten what the true, you know, meaning of Christmas is. And like Fox News in America makes this whole big thing where it's got to be kind of, you know, it's got to be Jesus. It's got to be about Jesus. It's like, guys, it was called Saturnalia before Jesus came along. And the Christians were very good at at, at following the existing calendar of holidays because they knew it was how to get people into the churches. Uh, Christmas was essentially before that, it was the big feast day because you had to slaughter a lot of your animals and eat a lot of your food because it wasn't going to survive through the winter. And then in kind of March, April time, you know, it would be time to kind of get things going again. The, you know, you, the animals that you had left, you know, would would have, have you know, calves and, and, and lambs and then you could start again. And they just said, oh, we'll do that at Christmas. But the meaning of Christmas has become this whole thing. And now that it's so globalised, this is a story that made me laugh about Christmas, was that, um, you know how the Japanese will, you know, see something that's going on in the West and think, oh, that's quite fun. We'll join in. Um, and when they, whenever they do so, they do so very enthusiastically. But they don't always get it right. Um, yeah. But they'd, they'd obviously got, got it into their heads that Christmas was a thing. And it was, a you know, a big, you know, big end, way to end Christmas. It's like, blimey, they get presents and fucking, you know, lots of movies. And it, it seems all fun and magical and colourful. And then you get presents and you have a party. And these mince pies taste really good. We should do that. So they started trying to do the same thing over in Japan. And someone I know was in Japan around about Christmas time, and they, they decided to take on the tradition of doing big Christmas displays in the shop windows. And no one goes to shops anymore now, but, you know, they, they're probably still, if you go to Oxford Street, they probably still have big Christmas displays, and it'll be like Santa on a sleigh lit up and all of this fun. And uh, the Japanese had tried to do their version of it, and there was all sorts of stuff going on, things thrown in from everywhere, and they hadn't really got, the, the, got it right, because at the centre of their Christmas display was uh, Santa Claus being crucified. Oh dear! So Why they hadn't, that? hadn't quite got it right. Well, they got mixed up between Easter and Christmas and Jesus and Santa Claus. <laughs> so they had Santa Claus nailed to a cross. That's just such a bad, like that's such a no go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, l- l- lucky for them, they didn't try and do the same thing with Eid. No, oh, fuck that, no Jesus. <laughs> We're not going there. Yeah, no. Avoid. Yeah. So. What are, you, what are you most looking forward to at Christmas? Obviously, you're hoping to actually just get everything set in, in the other stuff so that you can just relax on the day, right? Um, Just the food. I, I'm i going to be on night shift, so I'm going to be fucking knackered. So just enjoy the day, enjoy the time off, basically. Mm-hmm. You? Same. You know, obviously, you know, I've got another little one who, you know, there'll be some presents for him to open, but he's got no idea what's going on. Maybe next year <laughs> or the year after, he'll have more idea what Christmas is, but, you know. Bit a bit of family time, you know. Um, bit of time off work, you know. Watch a couple of old favourite films, you know. But yeah, no, it's you be, know, it's 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 nice. Good. It's like you know, I think if I'm going to get philosophical a second, I, I think it's better when you make your own memories stuff like this. Do you know what I mean? I don't think we should have it being manufactured for us. You know, whatever your you know, everyone. The best thing about Christmas is actually that everyone has their own little traditions. Yeah. has their own little stuff that we do. I remember we did this quite fun thing. There was one time I was having Christmas with you and you'd, you'd worked out there was this app on your phone where you could make little stop motion films. Oh, I remember and that. And we decided to reenact Saving Private Ryan with all the toys on the Christmas tree and like Rudolph being shot. And <laughs> and it's just stuff like that, you know. It, it, that's what actually makes makes Christmas a lot of fun is that you hang out with you. You probably have like family in-jokes. You know, there's stuff that only you find funny. Or there's stuff that you know, because you know, my, you know, my mum and dad are going to be be over for Christmas, and there's a couple of you know jokes and things we tell each other that you know that only we find funny, you know, and all of these little bits and pieces that that you do, or the little family traditions, you know. If you if, if it turns out you've got a, you know, because your granddad used to like kind of Brazil nuts, you always you know had Brazil nuts even though no one likes them, and nowadays you still get a little thing of Brazil nuts to remember granddad. Little bits like that. They're the bits that actually make it nice. It shouldn't be what get, gets handed down to you by the media. Christmas is about the little things you do, yeah. just you, that kind of make it fun, you know? I think once you get to a certain age as well, it's not really about the presents, it's just enjoying the time you have mm-hmm. uninterrupted your folks, I think. that That's that's probably it for me. Um, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be a good one. I hope everyone listening has a good Christmas as well. Um, except Boris Johnson and Monzo. I hope they all have a <laughs> fucking shit Christmas, the gaggle twats. 
Yeah, um, I mean, we obviously, we, we hope all of our listeners have a great Christmas. Except listen- Monzo. Except if you're a listener and you work for Monzo. <laughs> Apart from them, yeah, we certainly wish that they had a great Christmas. If you listen, you know, if you listen to this for the big day, hopefully if you're feeling the same kind of stresses and strains as everyone else, hopefully we've given you a few laughs to help you through the festive season. This was the Adamsons versus the John Lewis Christmas advert. Next time it will be the Adamsons versus something else. The music was District 4 by Kevin McLeod. Look forward to speaking to you next time. I'm sending a fucking shite and I'll send it second class so they have to live in fear that it might show up in five days or fucking 14. No, send it with insufficient postage so they have to go to the post office pay and pay for my shite. That was really tempting. Thing is, that would have to weigh my job at the fucking post office to see how much I'd have to shortchange them to make them pay for my shite. Just make sure it's in the box before you do that. <laughs> just hand the woman at the post office okay? the thing is you know, you, know, you know when you go to the post office and you got to post something that's any sort of awkward shape you never have the right box or anything so you're always carrying the thing you're about to post and need to buy a box or envelope at the post office at the same time so how you do that with a jobby is going to be quite difficult you either have to carry it with you in a little plastic bag or, or have a crap into the, into the envelope once you get there <laughs> fucking monster man <laughs>